last week we looked at the parable of the laborers, laborers in the vineyard. And uh, we've been in a study on parables uh, for a while now. We're going through the parables as we find them that's uh, in our Bible. And the parable of the laborers in the vineyard is basically the parable that has to do with the motives or the attitudes uh, in the hearts of believers and why do they work the way they do for the Lord. And so that, w- that was a good one. Uh, we're going to stay in Matthew for another parable today. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 18. And the, you know, it's one of those, I gave a title for the message, it's Bondage to Bitterness. And later I, th- I got to think, I, I should have called it the good, the bad, and the ugly. And you're going to see why. Everyone knows, remembers that, 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 that title. What a movie. Great movie. Uh, the younger generation has never heard of it, but it's a good movie. Um, but today I want us to look at another parable that kind of has a lot to do with motives and attitudes, but it goes deeper. This parable today affects every single one of us in this room. Believers and unbelievers is, uh, is drawn in to having to deal with what we're going to look at today, which is forgiveness. It's a big subject. It's an easy subject for some. It's a very hard subject for others. But it's guaranteed that at some point in your life, it will be a hard subject. But that's what we're going to look at today. In Matthew chapter 18, uh, Jesus says, beginning in verse 21, he says this. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, Peter, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves, his servants. And when he had begun to settle them, there was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and his children and all that he had and repayment was to be made. Then the slave, therefore, falling down, uh, prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And it says, And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But the slave went out, And he found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe me. So his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling. And he went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved, and they came and they reported to their Lord all the things that had occurred. Then summoning him, 
Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you entreated me. Should I not also have had mercy on your should not you also have had mercy on your fellow slave, even as I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. So shall my heavenly Father also do to, to you, if you, on your part, if each of you does not forgive his brother from your own heart. Now, it's just a story. It's a parable story that Jesus is telling not just Peter and the disciples, but everyone that is listening, something that is of grave importance. And you know it's really important because when you look at the end of the parable, what happens? It says, So shall my heavenly Father also do to you if each of you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Not from your head, but from your heart. So that's kind of a pretty big deal right there. Now, there's a lot of things that transpire in this parable, and we're going to break it down, and we're going to take a look at it. Warren Wiersbe made this comment, and he said, quote, The world's worst prison is the prison of the unforgiving heart. And that is really true. That is very true. And as we read this parable, you can see the importance of uh, and the reality of how true, how true this is. You know, the implications of this parable, if heeded, can literally set a person free, or it can imprison you. And it can. And it will. Wherever you stand this morning, whatever you have ex experienced, been the victim of, gone through, Wherever, whatever situational things that has occurred to you up until today, here's what I want to ask you to do. I just want to ask you, if you will, to just open up your heart and ask the Lord to do what only the Lord can do in certain situations. Because I understand there are some things, you know, some things, forgiveness is not immediate, it's a process. And I get that. More importantly, God gets that too. But we see very clearly his position, and we're going to really see it today, on what he thinks on this issue. So I just want to ask you, if you will, just sit back and let the Lord do what the Lord does best. Okay? Because this is, this is a good subject today. Now, before we get going, I'm going to get way ahead of myself right now, and I'm going to do this. I want to tell you something that's uh, worth remembering and we're going to head up on it again but think about this this uh this thought uh before we, we we jump in forgiveness forgiveness is not letting someone off the hook for what was done to you that is not what forgiveness is you are not letting them off the hook forgiveness is leaving the bondage of the offense that was done to you. That's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is leaving that bondage that keeps you connected to that event that happened to you. In essence, it is letting go 
and letting God take over. That's what it is. It's just letting go and letting God take over. So remember that as we get into the, the message today. Now, just like any other time, when you're looking at a passage of Scripture, it's really important when you're looking at something, and it's like a really big point, it's really worth remembering what was said prior to what it is that you just read. There's a lot of information that you're going to pick up and learn. When you look at the discussion that took place before the reading that you're stuck in, and last week we did that. There was a reason why uh, Jesus launched out with the story, that parable. Uh, it was brought up because Peter asked some pretty stupid questions. And so Jesus, knowing, well, there's going to be a lot of people that have these same thoughts, I'm going to tell them a story. Well, today, Jesus is talking. And he has been talking earlier in Matthew chapter 18. He is talking about... Um, the uh how how god deems salvation uh it's not enough that 99 get there but he wants 100 percent to be saved we know that's not what's going to happen but you see god's heart in this you see in earlier in this chapter uh how to uh be restored to a brother or sister that has fallen out and you see all of these things take place Peter is listening with the other disciples again to all this stuff Jesus is saying. Being restored, uh, praying, uh, forgiveness. And he gets so caught up, he asked another question that was a complete boneheaded question. So much so that Jesus gave another parable. Now, I'm not going to pick on the apostle Peter because how many of us in this room would readily admit you've said a few boneheaded, stupid thing a time or two? Everyone else is lying. It's exactly what's happening. They're lying. Um, the thing is, think about this. What if Peter, what if he didn't share his, his, uh, his thoughts? What if he... Uh, didn't always express what was on his mind. All those knuckleheaded things that he asked. We would miss out on some great parables, wouldn't we? So I'm really thankful. Show a lot of mercy to people that say stupid stuff because good things can come about as a result of it. Well, what happened? Peter does it again. Peter hears all this stuff that Jesus had been saying, especially on reconciliation, and then he says this. Bible says Peter spoke up. You'll see it up on the screen. And he says, Lord, how often am I, uh, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? How many times, Lord? He goes, up to seven times? Now notice what Peter is doing. Peter is leading the witness. I mean, that's what he's doing. He's, he tells Jesus up uh, to seven times as if, what do you say? That sounds like a pretty good thing. He's leading, he's leading God is what he's doing. That's what's so funny about this because he's such a knucklehead. How many times, Lord? Up to seven times? Wouldn't that be crazy? That's a lot. 
What do you think? Up to seven? Jesus immediately responds to him, and he says, I don't say to you up to seven times, Peter. How about 70 times seven? I wonder what the look was on his face when he said that. I, I really wonder what he was feeling. I wonder what everyone else was thinking. And there's a reason why you should think that way. It's worth noting this. Did you know that the rabbis in the days when Jesus came onto the scene, did you know that they had taught the people that according to the Scriptures, they had the, the Old Testament, that, and the traditions of men, which is always a problem, but they told the people that you had up to and no more three times you were to forgive someone if they offended you. Three times. Three times if someone came up and did something that was offensive, worthy of needing forgiveness, you had three times to forgive them. Now after that was over, it's time to go to war. And you can do it. After three times. So what does Peter do? Peter hears all this stuff that Jesus is talking on, and he's thinking in his head, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? i got to say something. And he did. So he kind of got his act together a little bit, and he got to thinking about what Jesus said, and he saw an opportunity to really set himself apart from all the others. So he says, basically, well, Lord, I tell you what, having heard everything that you just said, I'm going to raise that bar. I'm going to raise the bar. You know, we've been taught our whole life that you have up to three times. So I tell you what, I'm going to double it. In fact, I'm going to add one more on top of it. I don't know why. We're just going to make it, in, make it a seven. We're going to go seven times. I'll forgive. How does that? How does that look? What do you think of me now? I'm going to do it seven times. Now, after seven times, I have the right and permission to throat punch a person if I want to because I've gone the limit. I've gone the extra mile. I've gone seven times. What do you think about that? And as quickly as Jesus could roll his eyes and respond to Peter's question, Jesus had an idea. I'm going to tell them a story that they'll never forget. And we get this great parable. And this parable, y'all, it is packed with stuff that once you see it, you'll go, how did I not see that before now? But that's no surprise because that's, that's Jesus telling the story. What was Peter doing and saying what he said? I'll tell you what he was doing. Peter was reducing logic. He was reducing love to logic. Jesus' intention, Jesus' approach in talking to the people regarding restoration and forgiveness is centered on this one thing. It's centered on love. And Peter is going from love and he's applying it to logic. Peter is now comparing mercy with mathematics. In Peter's mind, the wheels are turning, and instead of seeing this in a spiritual sense, he sees this as a lesson in arithmetic. In other words, Peter has completely missed the point altogether in this thing that we call forgiveness. Um, 
Jesus immediately launched off in the parable. Jesus immediately launched off and told Peter, Peter, it's not seven times. It's going to be seven times 70. It's, it's more than could ever possibly happen. Why? Because this is how God sees forgiveness. Jesus uses this as an opportunity to tell not only Peter and not only everyone else that was there, but 2,000 years later, here at a place called Red Baptist Church, that we could see God's heart and how he views forgiveness. Because God does not give us up to three times to forgive and then move on. He certainly doesn't stop at seven or ten or 20, that's not, that's not God. That's not where he's at. That's not how he feels. That's not how he thinks, what he thinks. Let me ask you this. How well would you be right now if your limit of messing up in front of the person that you love stopped at seven? How would your life be right now? How would it be? I really wanted to pick on, on Otis and Bobby Burkett today. And obviously, it's the one day they decided not to be here. They probably missed out on the time. I saw Jerry and Shirley as they walked in. Shirley, how, how well would Jerry be right now if, he, if his cutoff was seven? It would be bad. It would be very bad. I think the whole world would be in a world of hurt. Don't you? I do too. Here's what I want us to do. Let's stop for a minute real quick. We're going to rapid fire. We're going to see a lot of uh, reminders. How does God see this thing that we call forgiveness? You'll see these up on the screen. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 18, the Bible says, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, that's sin, but he will by no means clear the guilty. In 1 John 1, 9, the Bible says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. In Psalm 86, 5, the Bible says, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love, to everyone who calls upon you. Or how about what we read in Matthew chapter 6, uh, the Lord's Prayer, that part in the Lord's Prayer that we read. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Uh-oh. How about Mark eleven twenty five? And whenever you stand praying, forgive. Forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you of your trespasses. Oh boy, this next one is a great one. If you want one to write down or highlight, make it Romans chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord 
will not count his sin. Boy, isn't that a good one? That's a, I mean, they're all good, but that's a good, good one. How about Colossians 3.13? It's really simple. The Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Easier said than done, yes. But to be done, yes. See, we could go on and on and on, but I think you get enough of a picture to see God's position as he's looking at us in this area that we call forgiveness. And you know, these verses right here, this is just a crumb of all the verses that we find in the Bible that talks to us on this subject right here. This is just a speck. Forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness is a really big deal with God. It's a big deal. God's forgiveness, it is constant. God's forgiveness, he keeps no records of wrongs that we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter of the Bible. The good news is that God will forgive every single time we go to him asking for forgiveness with a sincere heart. You genuinely are defeated. That one sin that keeps kicking you in the face that you swore you would never do again and you did it within the hour after you prayed and you feel so defeated. We have a God who is ready to forgive and restore if we are willing to see things from his perspective and to strive to overcome and eventually you will overcome but that's the kind of god that we have every single time and god's application for forgiveness is to be is for us to do the same it's we are to do no less we're to do the same if we forgive others we will be forgiven if we do not forgive, neither will we be forgiven. It's just cut and dried. In our parable today, the king in this parable, we know who the king is. The king is God. The man that's in this parable, that's you and me. That's you and me. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to see the three different phases that this one man goes through. These three different masks that he puts on because of the role he's choosing to embrace. Okay? You're going to see some drastic changes taking place in this one guy. All right? The first phase, the first role, the first picture that we find of this man, we see him as a debtor. He is in debt, he owes his master. A large sum of money. In verses 24 through 27, it says, And when he had begun to settle his accounts, this is the master, there was brought to him one who owed 10,000 talents. If you want to put it in perspective of the amount, because we don't deal with talents, let's just pull out a number. $50 million is what he owed his master. Now, it doesn't matter. How did he go and such debt? That's irrelevant. The point is, he was in debt 
to a degree he could not pay this debt off. Why? Because he only made $30 a week working down at Sonic. He had an enormous debt. $50 million. He makes $120 a month. That's before taxes. And he has a family from what we read in this passage right here. He is in trouble, y'all. He's in a lot of trouble. He's in a world of hurt. Nothing that he can do is going to erase the problem that he is in. Thus the point of the parable. That's what Jesus wanted us to catch. Here is a situation you cannot fix. You cannot fix it. But the person in this parable doesn't know that, does he? He doesn't know that at all. When you see his response, and he's called upon to pay up what he owes, and he cannot pay it, in the story, Jesus said that the master orders this man's wife, and his children, and his dogs, and his cars, and his house, and his life insurance policy, every single thing that he owns is to be sold. And every single thing was to be taken from him and removed as payment. But in the story, he falls to his knees and he says to his master, he says, um, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. Now we can read that and we know what we've just heard and what that means. He works down at Sonic. He's making $30 a week. But he's going to repay a $50 million debt. We don't know if the man was drunk, if he was deranged, or if he was just dumb. But the one thing we do know that he was, he was very prideful. He was very prideful. I'll repay you. Hey, don't worry about this. I got this. I can fix this. <laughs> okay. But in his mind, I can do this. I can pay it back. I don't need anyone else's help. Did he ask for help? Uh-uh. What did he say? I can do this. I can do this. And on that alone, the master let him off the hook. He felt compassion. On a prideful reply, uh, 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 just a crazy reply because it couldn't happen. And the master knew it. But the master still felt compassion and he forgave him of his debt. He allowed him to keep everything that he had, his whole family, his, his job, his work, everything. And he sent him on his way completely, totally, 100% forgiven. And he also... He lacked repentance. Now, someone would say, how do you know that he lacked repentance? Well, he goes from the position of being a debtor type of an individual, and now we see him move into the role of a creditor. A creditor. The Bible says that when he left the presence of his master, not long after, he ran into someone who owed him money. And what this person owed him 
was so significantly less, it was pennies on the dollar. It was just, it was cents. It was, it was almost not even worth bringing up. It was so little. And when he saw that person, the Bible says he literally goes to that person and he not only verbally assaults that person, but he physically attacks the person. He starts to choke that person, saying, pay me what you owe me and do it now. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that insane? $50 million debt, gone. You owe me $10, and he's at the throat of this person. And he's verbally attacking and just assaulting him in every way. He didn't learn anything from what the king, what his master did for him, did he? And he certainly didn't have a memory that remembered what was done either, did he? Not at all. Not at all. So, what did he do? He decided to take matters into his own hands. The Bible says in the story that he ordered this man who owed him just a few dollars to be thrown, to be thrown into prison until his friends and his family came up with the bail money and could pay his fine and then he would be released. That's what he ordered. And because he was owed a debt and he had not paid it according to the law, he could exact this kind of a response and he, he took advantage of it. Hey, I have my right to feel the way I feel and I'm going to do what is due to me. And he had him thrown in the prison. The problem is there were too many people that was familiar with this gentleman and the graciousness he was shown by his master over his debt because he came out in all the papers. It was all over TV. It was on the talking circuits. So it was the hot news of the day. Everybody knew about it. And then they knew about the way he treated this one person who just owed him nothing. And they got mad. So what did they do? They sent a few text messages and made some phone calls to the master. And they said, did you know that so-and-so did this? And wasn't this the same one that you forgave this enormous amount? Well, look at what he did over here to oh so-and-so. In fact, he just got out of prison. And the master in Jesus' parable was enraged. And he ordered the police to go out, find this man, arrest him, and bring him back before me. I want him standing right before me. So they did. They went out. They got him. They brought him back. And you see the third phase, or face, or role that this man became. He went from being a debtor to being a creditor. And then, after the creditor, he became a prisoner. He was a prisoner. Don't you think it's ironic, y'all, that the very one who set him free from going to jail, he now sends himself to jail because of his own actions. 
Don't you think that's ironic? He was on his way to Alcatraz, and he wasn't coming out anymore. But the judge let him off the hook. Not only even let him off the hook, he forgave him the debt. You don't even need to pay it. It's been covered. But because of his own actions, now he's about to go to jail, and he's sending himself there. Why? Because of the way he chose to do what he did. He chose. It's ironic. The man who just mistreated the one who owed him just peanuts, he was exercising his rights to all of us. Yeah, okay, he was exercising his rights. He was demanding, now listen to this, he was demanding justice. No one can fault him for it. Every single one of us in this room, we want justice too, don't we? When things happen, we want justice. Well, this man who was mistreating this one who owed him just a small amount of money, he was exacting justice on this person. And he had every right, or so he thought. However, now, this time, he is brought back before the king. And the king is mad. And the king says to him, Why did you not forgive your brother a such, small, uh, such a small debt when I forgave you something so big, so enormous of a debt? Why did you do what you did? Now I will exact my justice. And my justice now, you are to be arrested. You are to be tortured. And you will be thrown away into prison. And the key will be thrown away too. Until every single thing is paid up. Meaning it's going to be forever. Because it will never be paid up. He'll never be able to rise to the level to where he paid off this debt. Do you catch all the hidden variables that's in this passage as it applies? What does it apply to? It applies to this thing called forgiveness. It's forgiveness. This isn't about Wall Street. This is about forgiveness. His failure to, re, to, to, to remember, his failure to exercise the kindness of his master, listen, it cost him everything. And he had a right to demand justice. But having a right doesn't always make it right, does it? You know what I used to tell the youth all the time? I used to tell the youth all the time. Before you come to know Jesus, you have rights. You have rights. We have laws. We make laws right now today that we are governed by. Before you came to Jesus, you had rights. After you came to know Jesus, whether you knew it or whether you didn't, did you know you traded in your rights for a responsibility? You can't claim your rights anymore. You have a responsibility. What is that responsibility? That responsibility is to be like Jesus. That responsibility is to do what Jesus, what would Jesus do? What does Jesus say to do? 
Well, the rabbi said three times we're supposed to forgive, so I'm willing to go six. In fact, for good measure, I'll throw an extra one. We're going to make it seven because I hear that's your number anyway, Lord. And so that's what we're going to do. And all of a sudden, Jesus is like, no, you have a deeper responsibility, not just your right. And what's that responsibility? It is to do it every time. Seventy times seven. What we should do, what we should learn to do, we need to crucify our excuses and not forgiving others. Today, I can honestly say, God wants us to crucify our excuses. Because we are so good at not only making excuses, we are even better at winning people over to our positions of why they should feel the way we feel and the way we disdain or dislike so-and-so and so-and-so because of what they said or did. We are so good at that. You know what we fail to recognize? We are that second guy in the mask where he is not willing to forgive chump change. And we think we're doing right. We're in the right feeling the way that we feel. What we cannot see is the big picture. You know, the top excuses that I've heard, I just put down three of them, why people give excuses as to um, why they don't want to forgive people, the number one reason well, he or, or she, they don't deserve to be forgiven. I think you're right on some situations. I would agree with you. Oh, and by the way, we don't deserve God's forgiveness either. I mean, when it comes right down to it, we were the ones, we turned our back on God. We were the ones that turned around and cursed God. He came into his own, but his own received him not, as the Bible says. You know, we don't deserve God's forgiveness either, but he does give us two things. He gives us grace, and remember, you know what grace is. Grace is uh, giving us what we don't deserve, and he gives us mercy. You know what mercy is, don't you? Mercy is not giving us what we do deserve. What do we deserve? We deserve separation. We deserve hell. We're the ones that messed all this stuff up. It wasn't him. But they don't deserve to be forgiven. Well, neither do we. How about the second excuse? Well, they have hurt me too much to ever, ever forgive. You know, Colossians 3.13 says this. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And it's on this point, I will say, sometimes I think forgiveness is a process. I've counseled with some people that have really experienced some pretty traumatic stuff. And... Um, it would, be, it would be wrong and it would be misleading to just let them know where you're supposed to, you know, within the course of talking, you're supposed to forgive. When if the tables were turned, Ed, how would you feel if, and I get that, 
But I know God's ultimate answer, you're to forgive. But I also know, too, that there are times when you get to that point, it's a process, y'all. It's a process. And does God understand that process? Absolutely. I mean, there is a real, real difference between uh, having to deal with someone who's running their mouth because they just love to gossip versus something that's way more serious. There's a difference. There's a difference. Remember what I said at the very beginning? Forgiveness is not letting someone else off the hook for what they did to you. That is not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is releasing the bondage that keeps you connected to that wrong that was done to you. It's letting go of it and it's trusting in God that God will come through. Uh, That third excuse that I've heard many a times, well, if they will apologize first, then I'll apologize. I hear that too. You know what? To truly forgive someone, you need to be ready and willing to forgive even if they never, this side of heaven, ever apologize. Ever. I I said this before, so I won't share the story again, but when I went home in college to apologize to my dad, at that time he had a drinking problem, and it was pretty much most of my life. Uh, When God convicted me in a revival, he wanted me to go home and tell my dad that I'm sorry for all the things that have taken place um, growing up at the house. Um, I went home and I did it. In fact, I did it that very weekend because I was so mad having to do it that if I didn't hurry up and just do it, I wouldn't do it at all. And I thought I was crazy in doing that. I did. I mean, I got to the point. I used every excuse in the world to justify. (laughs) I'm not going home to do that. I'll wait for him to come and bow down at my feet. I mean, I thought of everything I could think of. I went home and I did it. You know why? Because I knew God wanted me to do my part. You know what I didn't know at that time? I had no idea that that crazy, misguided, stupid thing that I did was going to be the turning point that was going to bring my dad to Jesus years later. I had no idea. All I knew to do was what God was telling me to do. Was it insane? Mm-hmm. Did I want to do it? Mm-mm. Am I glad that I did it now? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. There's results when you refuse to forgive. There's results. One, there will be a growth of bitterness, the size of Texas that would take part of your life. That bitterness will grow, it will fester, it will develop into all kinds of other things like gossip, lashing out, losing your temper, uh, slander. Bitterness will consume you. Second, you'll be a tortured spirit. Isn't it ironic that in the parable that he was sent off finally because now the master is exercising justice? Okay, you want to exercise justice on your friend? Then guess what? Now I'm going to exercise justice, and you're going off. And he's not only going off, he's going off to be tortured. You will have a tortured spirit when you refuse to forgive. 
That thing that you think you can kind of control, maneuver, uh-uh, uh-uh. It won't work out just like that. It'll lead to a third step. You'll begin to avoid. You'll avoid the person. You'll avoid the situation. You will change your life to avoid putting yourself anywhere near, around, or even in the discussions that involves that person. In other words, you're going to become someone that you're not. You're kind of going against the flow of who you really are. Why? Because so-and-so is going to be there. And then... Last, retaliation is going to be the thought. Revenge. What can I do to get back? And oftentimes, the end result of retaliation is alienation. You have alienated yourself from a lot of people because a lot of times when whatever, however little it may be, other people are going to be hurt in the process along the way. You know, I heard a story one time that a 2,000-pound grizzly bear at a park digging in trash that had been knocked over by the trash cans that you see in our state parks, a 2,000-pound grizzly bear is eating and foraging through all the trash, getting all the food, and a skunk comes running up, and that skunk has more determination to get what's in that garbage can, more so than that grizzly bear, and is really feisty and is really hungry. That bear, almost 10 out of 10 times, is running off. That bear could whoop that skunk easily, but would it be worth it? Would it be worth it? Retaliation, in the end, would it be worth it? Even if what you're doing isn't physical, it's what you're saying. And it's what you're telling others. In the end, it's not worth it. You know, the only cure for the harmful effects of holding grudges or hurts is forgiveness. Even when you are justified, be angry and then let it go. Let it go. Because what you're doing, you're setting the tones for what others are going to follow. Let it go. It's not letting people off the hook, it's letting go of the bondage that's keeping you connected. To the situation. God will deal with those things that needs to be dealt with. The Bible tells us that. And in the meantime, it is our job to let go and let God just have it. Just, just deal with it. Holding on to your anger will only give the devil an opportunity to come in and do something inside of you. You know, the mark of a growing Christian is going to be seen in the way in which they reflect Christ. And we know that Christ has forgiven us of a $50 trillion debt. And on that note, the only question I want to ask you today is, if he has forgiven us of such an enormous debt, 
How is your forgiveness working for you today? Let's pray. Father, we just want to come before you, and Lord, we just want to thank you that we are in this place, um, that we are able to talk and to hear from you. And God, we want to ask this morning that you would visit with us. God, we want to ask that you would help us in this area that we call forgiveness or unforgiveness. The ability to let go what we need to let go. God, there are those in this room and they hang on to things that are so petty. So petty. God, I pray and ask you'll just help them to realize what I know they know in their heart. God, that they'll just let it go. Lord, I know there are others in this room, and it's not petty at all. It's big. I mean, it's, 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 it's rough. Father, I pray that you would grant us all the, the ability to see things from the perspective that you have. And for us to be able to do the things, humanly speaking, is so impossible. But with Christ, all things are possible. And God, that you would give us the ability to let it go. Just let it go. We don't want to look at it anymore. We don't want to think about it. We gladly will turn the page and look at a new chapter in our life if you'll bring it about. God, we know that you want to bring it about because you want us to let go of these things that, that we don't need to have anymore, that we carry with us. Father, I pray this morning that you would help us to see that within this parable, the truth of what happens if we choose not to forgive. I pray, God, that the people that know us will see within us this heart of compassion and this willingness to want to forgive and to restore and to rebuild and to do the things, God, that you do all the time for us. And Lord, for those that are just having a really hard time in, in doing this, God, would you give them the extra grace that is needed? I pray, God, that this week we will take advantage of the opportunities to make things right with others. And Jesus, we want to thank you for giving, for forgiving the greatest debt that none of us could ever repay back. And Lord, that you would help us to remember that in the way in which we treat others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.